oriented towards astronomy. What do you think are the reasons for us to be discussing rocket science today? Can anyone tell me what you imagine the speed of a rocket might be? Like when it is injecting a satellite into orbit? Even if one thing fails, one small component fails, it's a disaster. You might, uh, you might know about Kalpana Achala's Why do we even go to space? That's the fundamental question. Why don't we use airplanes uh, to put an a satellite into orbit? Uh, we will just try and see what are the various parts of a rocket. Uh, then building a satellite, this is just a very small portion. I, and then finally we come to the launching of a rocket. Uh, my name is Ankita Hudedgaddi. Uh, I'm a former scientist engineer from ISRO. Uh, I used to work at the Vikram Sarabhai Space Center in Trivandrum. Now, can we take an aeroplane? Can we take an aeroplane, put this Earth observation satellite inside it and fly the plane to a height of 740 kilometers? Good, nice. I, you know, next time maybe you will also come here and give the talk along with you. That's a very good answer. Anybody else can venture any guesses? That is also a good answer. You will need a lot of thrust to take something at such a great height. For uh, people who are um, uh, not very well averse with uh, terms like thrust, thrust basically means the force. The force and the energy that is required to uh, take the satellite to such a height. Let's just go back to the basics and come to a systematic answer to why we can't do this, okay? Airplane or rocket. We moved on to the second section. So back to basics. When we move on land, what are we basically doing? When we are walking, you're basically pushing the ground underneath you in the backward direction and you are moving forward, right? When a car is moving on a road, the wheels of the car or the wheels of the vehicle are basically rotating, pushing the road in the backward direction and they themselves are moving forward. This is moving on land. When we move in water, again, a swimmer is doing the same thing. You're basically scooping water with your hand, pushing it backwards so that you are propelled forwards. A ship, a ship propeller or a boat propeller on the other hand, follows the same principle. What are you doing? If you imagine the blades of the propeller fan to be like, you know, ice cream scoops, you know, you scoop an ice cream out of a container, just at an angle, it is basically scooping water, pushing it backward with a particular pressure and propelling itself forward. This is how we move. Newton's laws of motion are something that you learn in high school. How many of you have already learned it? The kids, I mean. All right. So Newton's laws of motion, you just ignore this for now, okay? Don't uh, get uh, distracted by some complicated science-looking language. All you need to uh, pay attention to is this. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. This is not just a part of science. It is used everywhere, even in our daily life. If somebody does something, you might have heard it. Every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Just remember this for now and these two points. Motion is essentially due to a push or a pull. Do you agree? Motion is essentially a push or a pull. Objects move in the direction that the net force is exerted. Yes? If I'm applying force in this direction, I will keep moving in this direction. If I'm pulling a rope in this direction, I will move in this direction. 
if I'm pulling a rope in this direction, I will move upwards, okay? Objects move in the direction that the net force is exerted. Movement in air. How many of you understand how an aeroplane actually functions? Okay, that's good. I, will, I certainly did not know this when I was in school, all right? So I will just explain it to everybody. So uh, movement of an aeroplane, you have these turbines, right? Turbines which are placed on the aeroplane. What is this turbine doing? Perfect, absolutely perfect. So basically these turbines, these, uh, uh, these blades which are there in the turbine are somewhat performing a similar kind of function that the boat propeller blades did, right? They are scooping the air, there the propeller blade was scooping the water. Here they are scooping the air, they are pushing it backwards at a higher pressure so that the airplane moves forward, all right? Did you get it with me? So we have these propeller blades. Why do we need wings then? Why can't we just, you know, attach these turbines to the sides of aeroplanes and make it fly? Why do we need wings? Perfect, that's, that's the right answer. So basically what wings are doing, this is the cross section of a wing. Now we already learned that objects move in the direction of the net force exertion, right? These propeller bl blades, th these turbines in fact, are just scooping the air and pushing it backwards, right? If they're doing that, then the plane should keep moving forwards, right? If it's pushing the air back, the plane should move forwards, but it's not doing that. It's also moving upwards. Why is that happening? Because of lift, something called lift. There is a force which counteracts the weight of the plane. This happens because of the wings of the airplane. What happens in a wing is, you see this wing which is there, it is not simply a rectangular piece of metal which is attached to the plane. It has a particular shape. If you cut that wing, this is the shape you'll get. You won't get a rectangle. Get it? You get this shape. And when air flows over this, there's a high pressure that is developed at the bottom a low pressure which is developed at the top, this resultant force creates a force called lift. So lift counteracts the weight and the thrust due to the jet engines, like somebody mentioned thrust, will counteract the drag. What is drag? Perfect. Force exerted by fluids, force exerted by air due to on the vehicle, on the surface of the aeroplane is called drag. Thrust is counteracting drag, lift is counteracting weight. This is what is happening in an airplane. Now, as a lot of you have already figured out, you cannot really use airplanes to put satellites into space. Why does that happen? There is one more very important aspect. You mentioned the burning of fuel, right? And it produces hot air because of that. What do you need to burn a fuel? Oxygen. You need oxygen or an oxidizer with something which acts like oxygen to burn the fuel. You need the fuel itself. You also need heat. Heat happens, uh, 
in a car what provides the initial heat spark plug a spark plug in a car provides the initial heat that is required for ignition and once the combustion process once it starts burning by itself the heat is automatically provided by previous combustion for forward motion again uh, an airplane needs to push air needs air flow over the wings needs oxygen from the air to burn its fuel in space there is no air that's the reason we cannot use an airplane to put a satellite into orbit outer space begins at a height of 100 kilometers this is a definition uh, it's known as a common line definition you have layers of the atmosphere something which you might have already seen in school you know the lowermost layer that is the troposphere will extend up to 12 to 18 kilometers roughly some text even say it is 10 kilometers all our planes fly at this height not more than this because planes need air you need air to fly, fly planes you cannot go higher than this some other observation balloons that we launch go at a much higher height that is uh, in the stratosphere up to 50 kilometers maybe you will see some observation balloons that are flying but as we saw earlier our satellites have to be launched anywhere between 200 to 1000 kilometers right some even go up to 36000 kilometers that is nearly outer space it's beyond 100 kilometers the space line so there is no air there is no sufficient air for a rocket to use for all the other purposes for lift or for burning the fuel it cannot use air this uh, plot do not be intimidated by it for people who do not have a, a bachelor's in science i think this will seem a little intimidating i'll just uh, lay it out for you basically this means this is the line density goes and this is the line that pressure goes what this is basically telling is that as you move higher up in the earth's atmosphere the density and the pressure are decreasing this is a common sense fact you don't need a graph to tell you this if once you go to higher altitudes have you been to hill stations so don't you feel that the air over there is a little rare right it's not and if you uh, furthermore if you've gone to like you know high altitude places like ladakh or like you know some of the himalayan regions uh, a lot of these places prescribe something called acclimatization they do not want you to just start going there and doing all your activities the moment you arrive there they give you an acclimatization period where maybe for a week or so you are asked to uh, let your body adjust to the lower pressures at just uh, 10 km sorry at just 5 kilometers above the earth surface pressure drops to nearly half of what it is at sea level at nearly 30 kilometers above the earth surface pressure is nearly zero this is what this graph is telling you density of air is nearly zero at just 30 kilometers of height nowhere as we've already established earlier there's no way way that an air, a rocket can use air for movement what is the other option if it cannot use air what is the other option fuel and oxidizer uh, because it does not have an oxygen source it can carry fuel and oxidizer it can burn it by itself there were two other reasons why we needed air right we needed air for lift of the aeroplane we also needed air for 
for the left and what else it needed thrust you needed to push air right you do not have lift or thrust because of air what is actually happening in a rocket is something similar to what happens in a balloon have you ever filled a balloon and let it go it moves forward why yes the air that is escaping from a pressure filled balloon is what is helping it move up here you need to recall newton's third law for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction in equation form for people who have already uh, done these chapters in school m1 v1 equals m2 v2 right mass of first object into velocity of first object equals mass and velocity of the second object so basically because the air is going down that much air is escaping helium balloon is also the same principle right helium also has a mass it is at a particular pressure it is escaping at higher velocities because it's at a higher pressure so m1 v1 equals m2 v2 oh no that you're talking about, not going out uh, you're talking about a balloon that's floating in the air right that's because of buoyancy 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 have you learned of buoyancy exactly exactly it pushes that uh, that's a similar principle to why boats stay afloat in water right so inside the balloon it is less dense so the density of the air is about to uh, able to hold it up okay fine so coming back to this this is the same principle that is followed in a, a rocket you basically have fuel inside the rocket along with the oxidizer this fuel and oxidizer is burnt it is pushed outside at a extremely high velocity and at very high volumes that is very high mass of propellants is pushed outside which is what helps the rocket move upwards overcoming the gravity which is exerted by the earth okay it overcomes its own weight which is why it is able to move up okay now we come to building a rocket let's think of a car and think about various systems in a car which help it move on the road okay uh, give me parts of a car and tell me what they do now not complicated things something that you can see like somebody who has no knowledge somebody who is not a mechanic can tell talk about this engine of course is one thing wheel perfect you have wheels to turn the car then what else you have the steering wheel to steer the car right lights do you need lights in space not necessary so there are certain parts of a car which can be considered analogous to the parts of a rocket we will just go forward and see them just touch upon a few of them and see if you are able to understand the functions these are performing this is an image most of you might have seen the first image is also something that a lot of you might have seen this is the structure of a rocket okay this is a gslv mark 3 rocket which has been developed by isro this in fact was the rocket which carried chandrayaan which carried chandrayaan 3 to orbit at the very top of the rocket you have the a space for the placement of the satellite whatever satellite whatever mission uh, whatever object you are carrying to space is going to be placed at the 
top of the rocket. Covering this, you have something called the PLF, which is also known as the payload, the it's an abbreviation for payload fairing. It is also known as the heat shield. Why it is known as the heat shield, we will touch upon that later. You have the PLF and the satellite inside it. Below that, you have all these other stages. You have the first stage, which is the booster stage. You have the second stage, which over here is a liquid stage. And you have the third stage over here in GSAB Mark III rocket, which is a cryogenic stage. I will touch upon each one of these and tell you what it means in a uh, short time. Now, can uh, anyone tell me why is a rocket designed in stages and what actually happens to these stages in a launch? Yes? Yes, yes, that is exactly right. These stages are dropped. The moment the propellant, the fuel in these stages is over, these stages are dropped. Just think about this, if you go on a picnic, okay, and you're carrying like many bottles of water and you're carrying a lot of food, and you complete half of your journey, and uh, there's a dustbin nearby, you've already finished all your water, would you want to carry those empty bottles with you and add that weight? No, right? It's pretty useless. You'll just discard that bottle, okay? That is what is being done in a rocket as well. As the rocket moves forward, as it moves along its path at a higher altitudes, you do not want to carry the dead weight. You don't want to carry the casing of the propellant, right? If it, has a if it still has fuel inside, well and good. You burn that fuel, you move forward. If it has no fuel left inside of it, you just separate it, dispose of it. Where do these things fall? Okay, some of them, some parts are partially burnt when they fall through the Earth's atmosphere. But most of these rockets, which we are talking about, these used parts fall into the ocean. Occasionally you will see that uh, some rocket part has washed ashore, you know, of some country or something, and they're like, they're speculating, oh, which country did this come from? Why all that happens is because we are not only flying over India, right? When we are launching a rocket, in order for it to go into space, we are flying over a lot of countries. And we need to make sure that any of the discarded portions does not fall on a landmass. There are people living in these countries. We can't, <laughs> we can't imagine that something that weighs about, say, 31,000 kgs just comes hurtling towards you from the sky. That is really unsafe. We make sure the orbits are so designed, the path is so designed, that anything that separates from the vehicle has to fall in the ocean, okay? We will come to the um, launch pad location and the orbits in a short while. Now these rockets are also designed in stages, not only for easy, quick disposal. Every phase of a rocket launch also requires different kinds of thrust. When it requires a different kind of thrust, you also require different types of engines. There are very few rockets where all the engines are of the same type. For example, SSLV that you were mentioning earlier, the small satellite launch vehicle, it has all three solid stages. So the staging basically has, uh, has been done in order to ensure efficiency, that you're not carrying dead weight. But in uh, vehicles like the GSLV Mark III or in other rockets like the PSLV, you have multiple stages. Here in GSLV Mark III, the first stage 
comprises of only solid fuel. Second stage is earth storable propellant. We'll come to that. Third stage is cryogenic fuel. When I mean cryogenic fuel, it means liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen. You need an oxidizer, you need oxygen. LH2 and LOX, liquid oxygen is known as LOX, are the fuels in the third stage, that is the cryogenic stage. These, in fact, are stored at such low temperatures. LH2 is stored at about minus 25 degrees. Liquid oxygen is stored at about minus 183 degrees centigrade. Okay? So, uh, the propellant filling and all will come to that. Now, just to give you an idea of the mass of this particular rocket, the first stage, which is the solid rocket, there are two boosters over here. First stage, both are attached on either sides of the GSLV Mark III rocket. The solid propellant ro uh, rocket motors weigh 2 lakhs 36,000 kgs each. Each one of them weighs this much. And the weight of the casing alone without the propellant is 31,000 kgs. The second stage is about 1 lakh kgs. Third stage is relatively lighter. It is only about 33,000 kgs. The total weight of the rocket with the propellant without any satellite comes to about 6 lakh kgs. Now imagine you're trying to lift something off the ground. The heavier an object is, the more effort you need to exert, right? In order to lift it. For you to jump up, usually when you're light, like athletes, you will see people who are light and who are like fit are able to jump up much easier and higher because they need to support their own weight. They are fighting against gravity when they are jumping, right? They need to exert a force which is equivalent and even higher than their own weight in order to jump up. Only then you'll be able to jump up. This is how I'm standing. Only if I exert a force which is greater than my weight in the upper direction, then the net force will be in this direction, which is why I'm able to jump up. Same thing happens for a GSLV or any rocket for that matter. A rocket which weighs 6 lakh kgs will need a force to lift that entire rocket upwards, right? So usually what happens is the thrust requirement, that is the amount of effort that you need to lift a rocket up is often the highest at the liftoff. The highest amount of effort does not come about when you're inserting a satellite into orbit. It in fact happens at the liftoff. Now in order for that to happen, every different stage of a launch vehicle delivers a different amount of thrust. It is capable of exerting a different amount of force. It's like, you know, in a relay team, you know that there are some runners who are good at the final legs, right? And some runners are good at the middle, in the, in the middle, and some people are good at the starting point. Solid rocket motors, which are used here, are considered very good candidates for initial liftoff, because they are able to generate a very high thrust. Coming to our car analogy, in a car, if you're going from point A to point B, it's often because there's a passenger inside it who wants to go there. Analogous to the passenger, we have the payload in a rocket. We need to transport the payload from point A to point B, okay? A payload can be anything. When I say payload, it can be a satellite, it can be a crew module, it can be any object. This is an image of a satellite. This is the crew module that has been recently developed for the Gaganyaan mission. And can anyone identify what this is? Perfect, it's a Tesla car. So Elon Musk, of course, uh, with the 
crazy brainiac or maniac uh, you call him, he in fact took one of his Tesla cars, put it in a rocket, one of the Falcon rockets, and launched it into space. No reason, because his only question was like, why not? Why not do it? A car is now orbiting Earth in space. It will. Eventually it will. It will fall. Now coming to the payload fairing. Why do we need a payload fairing? Why do you think we'll need some protective cover? Like for example, you see this. This is a set of satellites which are placed. There are two halves of a protective cover which are going to be closed. This sat the, these satellites are going to be encapsulated in this. Someone who has not answered. You were saying something? No. Anyone? Alright, have a go. Okay. So, to protect it from temperatures and all, uh, the payload needs something to protect it from high temperatures or low temperatures. Yes. That's a very good uh, analogy, I'd say. He's talking about how a seed is covered by a seed coat. You have the satellite which is covered by a heat shield or the payload fairing until it is ready to emerge from the satellite. Now, uh, when do you think the satellite will be ready to emerge from the satellite? Oh, sorry, satellite will be ready to emerge from the rocket. At what height? Three fifty to four hundred is one thing. Okay, any other guesses? When when we want to insert it into orbit is what you're saying. Okay, one thing I'd like to clarify here, satellites are still in the gravitational pull of the earth, right? Because the uh, moon is also in the gravitational pull of the earth. That is why moon is going around earth. If moon was not under the influence of earth's gravity, moon would have just left and wandered off in the solar system, right? So satellites also are under the gravity of the earth. But, yes? That's perfect, that's the answer. Basically, we had discussed earlier that we do not want to carry dead weight. Why would we want to carry like, you know, empty useless casings? The role of a payload fairing, a protective cover, is over the moment we cross sensible atmosphere. When I say sensible atmosphere, I mean about 100 kilometers. We had that common line, right? We said outer space starts from 100 kilometers height. So the moment we cross about 115, 100 to 115 kilometers, the payload fairing separates and it falls back to the earth. Like all the other junk which falls from the satellite, uh, from the rocket, the payload fairing also separates and falls back to the earth. Kai parello bangdo makamain lelo kondre melen tezo to fodilo Ailo, ailo go! Kotro, ailo, ailo! Ago, ago, begin to Kotroalo, I love to Anikidego, Magir Majana, one more Matale. Yo, yo, begin yo. Dolo Kide, Anito, Jerbejazata, Makala Zata, Anya, Walla Casarian, plastic put the gallop. Ago, Wolita, Moti, Boy, Boy, Atlan, Boy, she, 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 she
जबाबदारी एकटो सरकार कचर तरी सरकार दोनों संगता वोलो सुको तरी तुझे कहना दारा दारानी कचरो वरपन सुधा गटारानी रुशी कचर डिगारे मरे वो कचरो को मरे मैं संग हूं सरकार सारे अरे सावन सरकार कचरो जागर घक सालीगाव कुणे दरेक गोयकार आधार डॉक्टर प्रमोद सावंत गोय सरकार